we are in the Advent season, and the Advent season, uh, again, is uh, part of the historic church calendar. And it's part of the historic church calendar because uh, as the church was set up back in the day, uh, really they had um, certain rhythms. They had um, certain means uh, by which they celebrated certain significant events within the church to celebrate the story of God throughout history. And part of why we come uh, to the Advent um, season and celebrate the birth of Christ each year is because obviously it's the uh, crux of our faith, right? The entry of Jesus, the Son of God, into the world is regardless of any topic that we talk about, regardless of any mentions that we make about God's intervention or, or interaction with humanity, we've got to come to a place where we understand that God's saving work through Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of it all, right? It is literally the centerpiece of it all. So the church and its history um, brought a, uh, had a calendar uh, that they utilized to celebrate the uh, work of Christ and the coming of his birth. And we're doing that over the month of December as well as we talk about uh, the Advent season. Uh, last week, we were celebrating what was uh, traditionally known as uh, the Sunday of, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the Sunday celebrating uh, Jesus' Annunciation and his uh, celebration of the Immaculate Conception with Mary, and but also how Joseph had to respond in the midst of that, how he had to respond and reshift his thinking in terms of who he was and what he was to be as part of God's story. Uh, today, uh, as the traditional, one of the traditional calendars celebrates the season of joy, that the Advent season brings joy. What we're talking about today is really joy and intentional preparation in the coming of Christ. Because what we know is that prior to Jesus showing up on the scene, the Israelites were preparing for the Messiah to come. They were preparing for God Almighty, the Savior of the world, to bring his saving grace through Jesus, the Son. Uh, in the New Testament, once Jesus has come, it's the second advent that the church is preparing for, right? We celebrate the fact that he's already come, but we also celebrate the fact that he's coming again. And just as much as the gospel celebrates what God has already done in Jesus Christ, we've got to learn as a church to order our lives around what he's still yet to do in his second coming. And today we're going to talk about the intentional preparation, intentional preparation that we need to have as a church that the Advent season focuses us on, focuses us on so that we can actually prepare properly for the second Advent of Christ. So if you have a Bible today, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look in two uh, sets of scripture today. Isaiah chapter 40, speaking of the first coming, and then uh, we're going to go into Luke talking about how the people of God are to make preparation for the second coming, okay? If you're taking notes today, we're going to break it up into three parts. Number one, why hedonism doesn't work. Number two, where true joy is found. And then number three, preparing for the coming of the Lord. Okay, I'll repeat that. Why hedonism doesn't work. Where true joy is found. And then preparing for the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your uh, word to us today. God, we thank you for, um, God, not only your first coming, but also ultimately your return. God, we, we want to be a people who 
live worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. God, we want to be people who live prepared for your coming. Father, we don't want to be those who fall asleep in our spirits or in our minds. Father, because of the long wait that there is in your ultimate return. But instead, we want to be people who live alert, whose minds are prepared for action day by day, who are serving you day by day, ready for your coming. God, we're asking that you would take these moments to mold and shape us unto that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. We're going to um, start with talking about um, the prophecies that took place in preparation for the Lord's coming. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, what you see is that ultimately they're all a preparation for the coming of Christ, right? Everything that you see in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of that which would be fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who was writing about 700 years before Christ's coming. And he was known as one who was even um, the uh, Saint um, Augustine actually talked about his major prophecies as the fifth gospel. It wasn't one of the gospels, uh, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he talked about it as one of the, like, it's almost as if it was one of the gospels because 700 years prior to Jesus coming, it talks so much about the Messiah who would come and all the promises that God would bring that we could recognize Jesus very clearly through the words that were prophesied. Now, not only did he prophesy about Jesus, but he prophesied about the events that would surround Jesus. And in the time of uh, Isaiah, we see that the, um, he was having to prophesy about the judgment that would come upon the Israelites because of their constant year after year rebellion before God to the point that they got exiled in a place called Babylon. And in the midst of their um, Babylonian exile, Isaiah was also prophesying about how God would not only discipline them for their rebellion, but then bring them back. And so we see here that um, he's talking about this, but saying, listen, in the midst of me bringing you back to the place that I want you, there's going to be some preparation that needs to be made. So he says this, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I'll just make comment as we go along that anybody, if anybody's ever been in a place before where they uh, have known about God, but they haven't been living for God, anybody received the discipline of God in the midst of not doing what God said to do, even though you had a knowledge of God, anybody ever been there before, right? And he's saying, listen, I'm telling you that there is going to be discipline if you disobey, but blessing if you obey. But ultimately, the good news and the grace of God is he said, I want to bring comfort to my people. And after you've paid for your sin, I want to bring you back. He said, a voice, though, cries in the wilderness, in that dry place you've been brought to. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? He says, cry this, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Talking about the brevity of our lives and really our mortality and how quickly our life comes and goes like a breath. He says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we see here that God is basically saying that in the midst of the discipline, I'm coming basically to save. But this prophecy in particular, whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, prior to him showing up on the scene, there was somebody who was called the forerunner. And the forerunner was somebody who was part of this story known as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent before God to literally prepare the way of the Lord for the people of Israel. He was one who came preaching repentance. He said, God is coming with this promise that in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the discipline that God's given you, whether during the time of the Babylonian captivity or the present disciplining that we receive in the Lord, he said he's coming with comfort and peace if you would repent and turn from your sin. But the thing is, is that in the midst of him wanting to bring that comfort, he says preparation has to be made for the Lord. Preparation has to be made for the Lord. And prior to Jesus showing up in his first coming, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the people of Israel to turn their hearts in repentance and literally bring them to a place where they were turned from their hedonism to a life of devotion in him. Now, hedonism is one of the big challenges of uh, sort of the flows that we deal with in our present culture. Now, we know that God himself said that he created all things to be for our enjoyment, right? Everybody understand that foundationally. God created what was good, and the world around us he created to be enjoyed. The problem is, though, that hedonism takes what God intended to be enjoyed to another level. Instead of enjoying that which God created and giving thanks to him for that which he created, that which is enjoyed becomes a God in and of itself. It becomes a goal in and of itself. And rather than as we worship God, we're enjoying that which God created along the way, we begin to live for that which we enjoy rather than enjoying it while we worship God. And part of what God's doing is he's saying, in the midst of this preparation, I've got to turn you from hedonism because life ultimately is about worshiping me and not just about the pleasures that you find for yourself day by day. People inevitably find themselves disappointed, dry, empty, in a wilderness because they find that no pleasure can satisfy me like the person and the presence of God. If you've lived long enough and you've gone through enough uh, uh, sort of seasons of life, you know that every pursuit ultimately comes up disappointed if you don't find it in context to God himself. What we see is that even relationships, right? 
if you've been in friendships before. You've had people who you thought were your BFF, or you've had people who you thought were like a brother to you, even though they weren't blood relatives. You felt like they were sisters to you, but they were not broad relatives. But at the end of the day, they cannot be for you a perfect relationship of trustworthiness, of actually dependability, of somebody who's always going to come through 24-7 in your time of need, right? God himself is the only person who can do that. And we can get disappointed in our friendships when we try to replace any part of creation with the creator, right? Or rather flip-flop that. We try to replace the creator with any part of his creation, right? Or if you're married, people think that if I just can get to the altar, then all of my needs will be met. And then eventually you find that you try to make the person who you made your vows to a God, the one who should fulfill all your needs when they were never created to do so. And so it causes strife, it causes, um, it causes uh, discord, it causes all types of disappointment that inevitably has those created things break down because we replace the creator with that which he's created. It's a problem of hedonism. It's a problem of looking for pleasure outside of the creator that comes to comfort his people. He said, comfort ultimately comes from me. Comfort, comfort, my people. Comfort, comfort, my people. Now, when we realize these things, then we ultimately get to a place where we say, you know what? If I know that all of life and all of satisfaction is ultimately found in him, then I need to prepare myself to live that way. And that's what John the Baptist was sent to do. He was sent to turn people and turn their high places into level grounds, to lift up the valleys of despondency and bring them to a place where they're level before the Lord. But in that preparation, we see that what we have to do is not only have preparation, but perseverance in that preparation. Perseverance in that preparation. Because many of you, even in here today, have already turned to the Lord, right? You said, God, my life is yours. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But the point is, is that the challenge of hedonism is the perseverance that it takes until that promise is actually fulfilled. What we see is that in the Israelites being prophesied to in Isaiah's time, they had 70 years prior to that comfort coming to them. When they were in Israel, I'm sorry, when they were in Babylon, they were in that captivity for 70 years. And if you've been walking with God for any period of time, it feels like a long time that you're having to be faithful. It feels like a long time that you're having to live prepared. It feels like a long time that you're having to continually say, I'm putting off my natural proclivity, which is to live for self and pleasure and to actually give myself to him and his purposes selflessly. But there's something called the perseverance of the saints that actually gives us the perseverance that we need to live in a prepared state. Why? Because hedonism will ultimately lead to those desert and dry places. Now, what we see is that in the midst of this, we as believers have a, not only a challenge of devotion, but we can actually live in a place of true, long devotion if we actually know where true joy comes from. 
Now, this prophecy was talking about John the Baptist, but in the New Testament, we see him actually spoken about in his actual birth and coming. And in Luke chapter 1, we see how God says, I know it's going to be a while of waiting. I know you're going to have to persevere. I know that you're going to have to overcome the disappointments of hedonism. But let me show you how to posture yourself for true joy in the midst of that preparation. Luke chapter 1. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had, a uh, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in, the in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I think about the lives of some of the people in here, and I know, listen, this is you. <laughs> this is you. It's like my life is literally ordered around God, his commands, and service to him. And I'm living righteously before him. But in the midst of that, they had no child. In the midst of that, they did not have the thing that they yearned for most, that they thought would give them ultimate peace and satisfaction. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, meaning Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now this John wasn't going to be the one that Isaiah was prophesying about hundreds of years before either his birth or Christ's birth. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." So all of a sudden you see very specifically that joy was basically to come to them because ultimately they were waiting for the coming of the Lord. Jesus was going to come. John was going to be the forerunner, but joy was going to come to them because of them being inserted in the purposes of God. That it wasn't just about their waiting, but it was about them being inserted in that which he was doing to help speed his coming. Before Jesus made his public announcement, before Jesus was baptized, remember Jesus himself, though sinless, was baptized in water by who? John the Baptist, right? And it had to be fulfilled so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. Jesus didn't get baptized because he was full of sin, but as he said, I'm setting an example for all other believers to follow, right? He said, do this because I did it. Do this because this is a picture of what I want to do in you. 
But Jesus, before he showed up on the scene, John needed to fulfill his work. And John was a forerunner helping to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And part of that joy was found because they found themselves in helping to bring preparation to the people for Jesus' coming. What we see is that a lot of times it will not make sense and the joy will not come if it's only about our spirituality and our personal walk with the Lord. Does that ever get mundane to anybody? When you just see that I'm just going to have my quiet time one more time. I'm going to read the same Bible that I've read 500 times before one more time just to check it off a list and say that I did it. But if instead you are daily looking to bring application to that word, not only in your personal devotion, but actually you're inserted in helping to prepare a people made ready for the Lord, then what happens is is that you come alive each day. And that joy is inserted into your heart like John the Apostle. He said, I have no greater joy than this, that I see my children walking in the faith. Do you know, come hell or high water, no matter how I feel, why it gives me joy to show up each Sunday? Because I get to see you walking in the faith. I get to see you as a product of prayers, as a product of investment in the word, seeing you progress in the things of God. And the joy of God comes and the food of God fills my soul where Jesus even said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. You want satisfaction and food for your soul? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The Israelites were finding joy because they got to be part of the preparation of the Lord making his entry into the world. That was at his first coming. What is our role? To prepare for his second coming, the second coming of Christ. People are always wondering, when will Jesus make his return? Anybody ever wondered that before? He's been talking about it for a while now. Been a while, a couple thousand years, right? But this is what he says. This gospel will be preached to every nation, meaning every people group, and then the end will come. He said, don't worry about walking up into the heavens, trying to time it, reading the National Enquirer, trying to figure out if they have the inside scoop. They don't. Jesus said, do my work, occupy until I come, and then the end will come. Why? Because it's all about not just my first coming, where I came to save the world. It's about my second coming, where I'm going to bring all things under the head of one God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. But joy comes when you find yourself like John the Baptist and his people as a part of that story. When it's not just the mundanity of going through the rigmarole, but it's instead seeing people who were previously lost become found. Seeing people who did not walk with God come to know him. Has anybody ever been part of that type of story before and seen literally somebody come alive in Christ? Joy is the, answer, is the result of that. Joy. Because preparation was made 
where the heart of the wicked was turned to the righteous and the wisdom of the just. This is what he's talking about there. Not only that we make preparation in our personal hearts, but joy comes when we find ourselves as part of helping others make preparation for the coming of the Lord. He said, do what I do. You'll find the joy I find. Do you know that Jesus himself was full of joy? Do you know Jesus himself was full of joy? Even going to the cross, it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross where he would die and be sacrificed, scorning its shame and was willing to put up with anything that he might get a hold of what? You. Me. The world he came to save. That's actually where true joy is found. The problem is, is that the hedonism that we are surrounded by is constantly challenging that longevity of devotion. Billy Graham, obviously God rest his soul, said this. Part of that joy is this, that the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as it was originally intended he should live. The utopia that people are looking for in government and society, it will not come by the machination of human hands. Does everybody realize that? It will not come through government programs. It will not come through us pulling together our social media feeds and having a good, revol good old revolution. Death will only be defeated through the person of Jesus Christ. And his second return brings all of that into order. Joy comes to the Christian because no matter what comes from here, I'm good and it gets better if I'm right with God. If I'm right with God. And that's the key. If I'm right with God, meaning if I've actually lived a life where I'm ordering my life and purpose around him. Do you know that you can believe and not be right with God? Hello? Does everybody know that? You can believe and not be right with God. Why? Because you believe, but then you begin to live in the hedonistic ways of the culture around you. Why? Because it takes some perseverance to actually stay devoted. Come on, married people to stay devoted. It's one thing to go to an altar and say, I do, to somebody. It's another thing, two, three, four, 10, 20 years down the road to still be devoted to that same person. To that same person. And any young person who actually has an ideal of marriage in their mind, you need to get this in you. That it's going to take work to have a good marriage. Come on now, somebody who's married, say amen. amen. It's going to take some faith, ongoing faith, to have a good marriage. You will not stumble into it. And anybody who believes that they will, will be talking later on. <laughs> that is the truth. But it's the, the analogy that God makes with himself. Marriage. The same way that I expect you to be devoted in your earthly relationship, so much more so, I expect you through longevity to be devoted and living prepared to meet me. 
It's a perseverance of faith. But that's where the joy is found. Because let me tell you, when I do the work, hello, when I do the work in my marriage, oh, joy is found. You hear me? 18 years into this bad boy, it gets good and better. And when I do the work, joy is found on the other side. I tell you the truth. When I just coast, I'm coming to you, asking for sympathy, and I find it not. Right? (laughs) Same with God. Joy is found in that continual devotion. Living prepared for Christ means this, that we're living for the coming of the Lord. A.W. Tozer said it this way, how we should live is basically like this, understanding that when he returns is not as important as the fact that we are ready for him when he does return. You hear that? That means that if Jesus showed up today and was coming to judge the world, would he find us in our sexual morality or in drunkenness? Would he find us in our slander and gossip? Would he find us in our selfishness or greed? Or instead, would he find us in a heart that's fully devoted to him? Say, I'm ready to meet you. And matter of fact, not only am I ready to meet you, I look forward to meeting you. Anybody have some Christmas plans in here? Anybody looking forward to seeing some people over the Christmas break? You haven't seen in a while? That's a good thing, right? Looking forward to seeing people. But you know why you're looking forward to seeing them? Because number one, just be honest, you're looking to receive something from them. Okay? You're looking to receive a gift, right? Just like God himself comes with reward to those who've been waiting for him. But number two, you know you're right with them. You know you're right with them. Anybody ever have to go home over the holidays when you had some family beef? Had to go into that? I have. And I was like, okay, here we go. Wasn't looking forward to it, but I was like, got to do it. That's how a lot of people are with Jesus, right? Why? Because they're in their spirits, they've fallen asleep. And they begin to live according to the hedonism that drives our culture. But the appeal is, he's coming, you don't know when, live ready. Daily, live ready. Live ready to meet him. A.W. Tozer also said this, it's this way. He said, let us be alert to the season in which we're living. It is the season of the blessed hope calling for us to cut our ties with the world and build ourselves on this one who will soon appear. To live ready for him means that we're cutting our ties with the world. You cannot love the world, the world system, and love God at the same time. Everybody understand that? You can't love both. I can't love my drunkenness and love God at the same time. I can't love my sexual immorality and love God at the same time. I cannot love my greed and love God at the same time. Why? Because when he's calling me to sacrifice, I'll be holding on to that which I love more than him. And he says, live ready in a way that you're freed of all those entanglements. 
He says, throw off the sin that hinders. <clears throat> throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Why? So that you might run with perseverance. Perseverance, the race marked out for us. This is what the Advent season is also ultimately about. Not just celebrating the fact that he's already come, but living in a way where I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for his return. I'll end by saying this. You, just by saying, anal- uh, by the course of anal- sake of analogy, you've heard me talk a, a lot about the, the ready stance before, right? When you're playing ball, right? Everybody remember this. When you're playing ball and you're, you're, ta- you're being taught defense, right? What do you got to do? What do your coach tell you to do? Anybody know? That's right. Bend your knees and get ready, right? You get ready. Why? Because if somebody's got some actual handles, they're going to break your ankles. <laughs> if you're not ready, right? They're going to embarrass you. Same in football. Teaching my sons to catch a ball. You know what I did? After the ball kept hitting their nose and causing nosebleeds, I was like, listen, stand ready. What does that mean, Dad? It means at least do this. <laughs> Put the triangle together, right? The ball's going to go right there. Stand ready. No more nosebleeds. You know what happened? I stopped going to the emergency room. I'm sorry. <laughs> Same with us and God, right? He says, if you've been asleep, now's the time to wake up. The Advent season usually puts people to sleep, but instead it needs to be your time to wake up. The Advent season is usually the time of tradition. You know, that people are like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, we're going through the same scripture. Okay, you know, we're going through the same motions. Oh, okay, you know, Jesus came again. Okay, no, he didn't come again. He came once. And he is coming again. But every reminder of that is so that you can live ready. So that when he shows up, you receive him with joy and aren't condemned with the rest of the world. That's fundamental Bible teaching. And it's what you need to be ready to do by faith in him. That's why John the Baptist came, to make our people ready for the Lord. And it's what we're to live like today. Not only living ready ourselves, but helping in the joy of God to get others ready for his coming. And that's where we'll see the life that's truly life in Jesus' name. Amen.